Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge Boudreaux. On today's episode, we deep dive into these recruitment insights. Should employers pay less if the job is work from home? How do we get men to be interested in female-dominated industries? And this is going to be a tricky one, the potential pitfalls of pay transparency. As always, I'm joined by my lovely and beautiful co-host, Shelly Billinghurst. How's it going, Shelly? Did I hear that? Did you just you call did. me beautiful? Oh, yes. sir. Once a year. It's, it's almost thank Christmas. You. I'll give you one compliment now. <laughs> thank you, Serge. That was a nice intro. And I have the pleasure of introducing today's uh, co-host, not third wheel, co-host, the lovely, the talented Michelle Berg, Chief Visionary Officer and Founder of Elevated HR. Welcome back, Michelle. Only this time, we're not interviewing you. You're no. co-hosting with us. Yeah, I get to put the two of you in a hot seat. So I'm good okay. with that. Yeah, okay. I'm getting really nervous about that. I feel <laughs> yeah. like you might tag team against me. Just lucky I haven't had any wine yet today because that would be even more fun. We should record these like later on in the oh, day. Oh, I'm game for that. Can you imagine what would come out? Honestly, take off the filter. Honestly. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little story about Michelle. So the first time that I really met Michelle, I was going to be presenting at Disrupt HR, which Michelle was the MC. So she was going to introduce me and I gave her my story about being in the Guinness Book of World Records. She went up and said, I don't know what Serge's story is. It's something about 15 people. Then she looked at me, it's like, is this porn, Serge? Did you participate <laughs> in porn? Is that your record? Oh, yes, I remember. <laughs> well, the only reason why that was like on top of my mind at the time, because this is the craziest <laughs> story too, is the day before we went to a hackathon for software developers. And when they got there, we realized they were at a Pornhub hackathon, like the same people that work for Pornhub. Uh, get a bunch of my team in the same room. We are like the dirtiest people. So all we were talking about was porn for like however long. And again, a couple <laughs> drinks in you, it translated over into that. I mean, I feel a little guilty about calling you out in front of I oh, don't don't. Know, 100 of our closest friends, but... Uh, you know, no, I, I don't mind being called a porn star. It's actually a, a compliment. <laughs> And I, what is this porn hub you're talking about? I've never heard You've of it. You've never heard of it? No, oh, no, no neither have I. No. Oh, <laughs> my virginal ears. Oh, my God. So what's new in your world? Uh, you were talking before that you're going to Maui. When are you going? Uh, three weeks today. So, Exciting. yeah. For how I long? Am, uh, until January 2nd. Wow. So, so you're moving yeah. in. Yeah, Good for I you. am saying goodbye to 2021 and hello to 2022 in Maui. Nice. We've gone actually, I think every year since my daughter was born with the exception of last year. This will be our eighth time to Maui for Christmas. And I am definitely looking forward to it getting away. Everyone talks about how bad 2020 was. I not love in 2021. So I can't think yeah. of a better way to say goodbye. <laughs> Will you actually unplug? Because going to Maui, you can be totally connected, right? Mm -hmm. You can be virtual for anywhere. Are you really yeah. going to unplug? Yeah. From yeah. So one of the things we introduced in 2021 at Elevated is because burnout has been, has been so significant. Sure. Just the 
shit that I could have never even anticipated us dealing with. We introduced what we call disengagement days. Like you have to disengage. And right now what I do is I make everyone take at least one week per quarter to, to disengage, whether it's staycation or vacation. And if they plan for it, meaning they've got all their stuff together, et cetera, they get a 1% of salary bonus at the end of the year. Instead of taking away vacation, (laughs) we are rewarding for using vacation. The one thing that I've not done as well is I'm not a great leader in doing the one week per quarter. I did pretty good. So this plan is to be completely disengaged. But what I've always done with my team anyways, is we've always closed down over the holidays. We warn our clients that we're closed down over the holidays. But this year, what's different is I've actually hired an agency who's going to take our call center. So usually because I want to be the the great leader, I'm the call center over the holidays, just in case there are emergencies. We've hired a company to take over for us for that this year. So it is a complete disengagement. It always takes like that first four or five days to be fully disengaged, but my eyes need a rest. I need to stop looking at myself. I've even talked to my husband about, yes, I want to take pictures, but I actually want to be fully present. So it's not even about the Instagram. It's not about that kind of stuff. So it's a really planned out, intentionally disengage from everything so that we can come back and completely engage again. That is why you're one of my favorite HR person, because you are progressive in that sense. And I'm glad you're doing that. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. I wonder, how is your staff reacting to that? Is everyone using it? (laughs) Truthfully, we had unlimited vacation prior to this and nobody took it. Mm. That's where the burnout happened. And I was thinking, what can we do that's different here? I liked Unlimited as an entrepreneur because there's no liability, right? At the end of the year, there's no liability, but there is, there's people liability. Yeah. (laughs) But from a monetary perspective, and that was just it. Like everyone does this, use it or lose it. And it's just this very negative, these, Mm -hmm. these consequences, but planning to take vacation is the hardest part. And so again, if people need more vacation than those weeks that I'm giving, so the four weeks, then you know what, ask me for it. I'm still going to give it to you because on top of that, we also give wellness days one a month that we also want you to plan for. So here's what I'll tell you out of everyone. We've had two sick days, like where people have literally said, I can't even work two sick days out of all of us this whole year because you take the plan time off. So I will tell you wellness has completely Mm -hmm. increased. Planning for this time off is like, we are all prepared to cover for one another. Mm -hmm. I mean, 1% is not very much out of my pocket either. And in fact, I'm getting it because they're coming back from an efficiency perspective so much more that I'll probably, hopefully they're not listening right now to this, but (laughs) I'll probably end up giving them more than the 1% because we're financially, we're doing really well this year. And it's because I think we've been more intentional about our mental health and really disconnecting. But it comes down to the leaders. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that this is going to be a one size fits all and work for everybody. Mm -hmm. But I do love that they know they have to take this time off. This is what I want. I want to reward you for that. 
I am going to take a clip of what you just said and going to send it to all your employees so they know to expect <laughs> for more. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Dealing with other stuff, right? Comp. We're going to talk about comp, right? I know mm-hmm. you're probably bringing this up. I'm, I'm just trying to be a, a co-host here, Serge. You're being a great co-host. Well, let's talk about that. Let's jump into our first recruitment insight. Yeah. So one of the topics you wanted to talk about, I'll let you introduce it and let's deep dive in it. Yeah, sure. So for me, what's happening right now is obviously compensation is top of mind for everybody. Not only is inflation insane this year, I think everybody is starting to expect what we would consider cost of living adjustments. In the past, those have been, I don't know, 1.8% to 2% at the most. And not that people would give cost of living adjustments, but they would at least still account for it within their budget. They would never attach it to that. We're Mm -hmm. now talking like anywhere between 4.4 to 6.2% is what cost of living adjustments are going to be. That's massive, right? On a budget, like what that's going to mean to my payroll. But that is the cost of doing business. So here I come back at it going, hey, look, I've sat in these entrepreneur shoes too. I know what it's like to have salaries and wages go up, but then it's on me to go figure out how my product can pay for it. <laughs> that's what it means to be in business. Like, And maybe that's super crass, but here's the thing that really bugs me is that one of the cost-saving measures of not coming back to the office, I'm starting to see employers going, well, we shouldn't have to pay them as much if they're not in the office. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm against it. In fact, I would pay more for someone who can be efficient and get stuff done and prove that they can do all the things that are required because we're a results-only work environment than have to pay for an office. In fact, I'm going to be saving, as soon as I can get out of this lease, I'm going to be saving significant dollars and I've done the productivity surveys. So January of 2020 versus January of 2021, just go see how many more meetings were in your calendar. There are way more meetings that are happening now. They don't maybe feel as productive. We're still having meetings for the sake of meetings about that meeting. That needs to stop. That's different. But people are doing more. I personally think that anyways. And and part of me misses the drives and part of me misses all that other stuff. But do not penalize someone because they want to work at home. I think this is the world that we're in. The job is still worth the job, as far as I'm concerned. This was pre-pandemic. Salesforce out of Chicago had said, hey, look, we're going to pay anyone wherever they live the same that you can go make in San Francisco. Of course, that's a ton, but it does cost you a lot of money to live in San Francisco. And so if you can go live in Joe Blow, wherever, still do the job. That's the other side. You still got to be able to do the job. But I don't think you should be penalizing people from working at home. That's where I sit. And so it's been a really hard one on my integrity because I'll say, as much as that's what I believe, 75% of our clients think, no, they should be able to be paid less. Shelly, I want to know how you feel about that overall concept and if you're seeing the same thing. I think the point that I'm picking up on from you, Michelle, is the fact that we can talk a good game, but what's really happening out there? I know sitting in the shoes of an entrepreneur, if I have to pay for a lease and it sits empty, I can see why have people back in the office. If we're just talking about pay, if you are doing the same job and delivering the results, here we are all senior seasoned pros. We can do this with our eyes closed. Let's roll the clock forward 15 years. 
You're bringing in new people or people that are pivoting to a new industry. If they have no one, there's a lot to be said for being in office and learning the business, learning the company, how we do things around here. Can you do that when I'm sitting at my kitchen table and everybody's at at home? We proved we can, for sure. Is it sustainable? I think for us, of course, we're in favor of it. And you're hiring senior experienced people, Michelle. Mm -hmm. But when you look at junior people, I think we're shooting ourselves in the foot to say, it's not about pay. For me, the wider issue is having that succession in mind with who are you grooming and training. And there is something to be said for being face-to-face. So I'm not going to disagree with that. Then I also probably, because their experience isn't where it's supposed to be, I wouldn't pay the same than either. I'm talking about job for job. So if I'm engineer A and there's engineer B and one chooses to come to the office, one chooses to stay at home, I shouldn't be able to pay that person who chooses to stay at home for the same work any less. That's what I'm saying. And again, totally get it. Like I have an office that's sitting empty right now. I Mm -hmm. pay Elise, but at the same time, I'm also getting back productivity that when we've tried to go back to the office that I have lost. So yeah, training is way better in person. Mm -hmm. But again, once I've trained that person, I then also have to trust them to get the work done, how and what is best. That's how I'm seeing it. And then that work is equal. Like they want to literally give people 10 to 20% cuts because they're working at home, the same jobs and the same things that they did two years ago. Well, there's a couple of points there. You can't actually do that for existing employees, right? Legally, so yeah. Well, it depends. Like you'll read about constructive dismissal. Every lawyer will say, you shouldn't do that. That's constructive dismissal. Go try to see how many constructive dismissal cases work. Yeah. You have to resign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you have to mitigate your risk for 10% of your pay. So many organizations will just go, let's roll the dice. On the one for five, you know what? That guy was probably an asshole anyways. I didn't want him. That's what they Mm -hmm. think. So as as much as the law says, like, no. And 20% is probably the high end. We've Mm -hmm. always played with, if you change a salary more than 10% without the employee's agreement, you're not going to be in a risk because it's all based on a judge. But even that, like court cases take two years, two years minimum. Yeah. (laughs) so it's negotiations and and that's so employers have deeper pockets and they roll the dice on it they do i i have a couple thoughts so i think you brought up that as far as what are the costs of having an open office and people not coming into and what are the benefits of just closing that office but basically you're taking the costs that you have and you're now putting on to the employees because there's going to be additional costs to them with higher internet plan Sure. Or electricity taking part of their house. So there's all costs that now you're transferring over to the employee, even though they want to work from home. And now going in and saying on top of that, we're actually going to reduce your pay. The other factor in Facebook, what they did when employees started to move across the country in 2020, they actually started looking at where they were and what their rate of pay was in that particular market and adjusting. 
And I'm not completely against that. And the reason I'm not completely against it is when Facebook is hiring in Silicon Valley, the ability to get the talent they need just based on on the market, just the competitive nature of it, is they had to pay industry norms in that particular market that did not apply in other areas. So I'm a Facebook employee in in San Francisco, and I'm making, I don't know, $200,000. I'm the same in... Illinois, and I'm making mm-hmm. 160. So now that employee that's in San Francisco is moving to Illinois, and they're going to keep that same salary, even though that person that's already been hired in that market at 160 is, what do you do? You bump up those people to San Francisco pay rate, so you can keep the pay rate to that person that is moving. So th- there is a lot of complexity yeah. around it. What's your overall thoughts on that? Even in my husband's company, the same thing, what they did was you could live anywhere, but whatever airport you were closest to, they decided that was the geography, that was the pay geography. Because if they did need to fly you in, for example, whatever that looked like, you'd have to go to that airport. So there was things like that, that they were bringing into consideration. I do get it. Like I get it at the end of the day, you can only pay what you can afford. Like that's also what I think important Uh, but what it comes down to is, so first and foremost, you're exactly right, Serge. That's that's the reason why I wouldn't reduce pay is that they are taking on other costs. Employees do have other costs that they're taking on when they do want to decide to work from home. And so I think you have to, again, level that out. I'm not so much thinking about other geographies. I think that's a whole other policy. In Calgary, same job. I'm staying in Calgary. The difference is I don't have to pay for parking. I don't have to pay for my gas downtown. And they're saying, exactly, that's why I can pay you less. I'm like, that's bullshit. (laughs) That's not the reason to pay somebody less. So that's like saying, oh, you don't go to as many restaurants. So you get paid. The factor that all these employers that are saying this, they're not taking consideration. They're not attuned to what the market is right now. If you have an employee and you say, we're going to pay you 10% less, 20% less, there's companies on the other side that will pay 20% more and they don't care right. if you work remotely. That's so right. you're shooting yourself in the foot mm-hmm. because it's such a competitive talent landscape right now. That's what I think you need to look at is what are your competitors doing? How mm-hmm. do you stay competitive? And it's all about that. That to me is the bigger issue. That- and your competitors are no longer in your local market, right? Thinking about what your competitive landscape was two years ago to now when it comes to talent, companies yeah. are coming from other parts of the world, other parts of the country and being like, hey, we're all remote. We can pay you more. You can work remotely. I don't care if we're in Toronto and you're in Calgary. So it's the best talent wins. And a lot of companies are are not seeing that. They're still in the mindset that I have the power. You really don't have the power right now. No. Let's move on to the next insight. And I think this one's interesting because I'm the only dude in this panel. Throughout my whole career working in, in blue collar industries and trying to get women specifically to take more jobs in driving, manufacturing, and creating an environment where they can be successful so they are interested in coming to work for us. But I read an article and I thought this was fascinating and I'll I'll include the article in the show notes. What we don't realize, males have not had any upticks in roles that have been in the past, right or wrong, more female dominated. We're talking about occupations like healthcare, education, social services. 
And basically the rate of men has not increased in those since 1960. There's been actually no increase. But on the flip side, roles that have been male-dominated like manufacturing. If we look at manufacturing jobs since the 70s, there's almost 70% less of these roles. Where have men migrated? And then we're <clears throat> looking at the other aspect of we are struggling in healthcare, we're struggling in education, we're struggling in social services, we're struggling in multiple industries where generally it's been female dominated. And as we know, we've talked about this, female have left the workforce in the past two years more than ever. They're not coming back as quickly as we expected. The reasons are real and they make sense. So putting that in perspective, why haven't we done anything to try to get men into these vertical in industries that are short staff. And there's no reason why a man can't be a nurse. There's no reason why more men can be teachers. Shelly, what's your overall thoughts on that? So I'm so glad you brought this up, Serge. I know as a mom for two boys, it was probably the most glass of cold water in the face that I had when I saw that my sons had no male role models except for the janitor from preschool till grade seven. And I began to ask around, like, why are there no men in elementary school education? And I will tell you that the Board of Education is number one guilty party. They don't actively recruit men. They don't. They do nothing to make this occupation attractive to men. Now, having male teachers, especially when you consider 50% of your class are boys and having absolutely no male role model, it was for me like absolutely shocking. But the fact is nobody's brought it up, whether it's politically incorrect, I don't know, or there's so much focus that, you know, on women into traditional male roles part of me instinctually says that it's we feminize the role to the point where men don't feel it's appropriate for them to be elementary school teachers. 100%. It's intention. And if you don't have intention around it, then I would totally agree with you. We talked the last time I was on the show, we talked about the gender decoder. Yep. And the same thing is happening, but it's well before that. Like uh, a friend of mine runs Next Gen Men and a great nonprofit. I'll give you just even a link to go to it because I think it's it's incredible. And it's exactly that. It's teaching boys to be boys without the toxicity of ma- masculinity and all of that other stuff. Yep. I, I think we have to stop talking about gender roles or even using traditional roles. They're just roles. <laughs> Like, and the more we can become conscious of our language and how we approach things and what we're doing, women have gone into those other roles because we were intentional. The same thing has to happen on the other side. But then we have things right now, and this is probably going to be offside hugely, but I have a client right now who is looking for male facilitators. It's teaching dads to be dads, like better role models for dads. And even there, our lawyers have told us, do not put that they must be male. I'm like, but they have to be like, like that's the other side of it. And, and that is technically facilitators in social services are typically female. That's why we're saying we want this. We're not going to pay you more because you're a male, but we want this because we need this. It's to me, that's a bona fide requirement right there is that you have to have serve both sides, both genders. Um, That's very brave, Michelle. 
<laughs> so the fact is, is it any different than having your 40 something white Karen running diversity, equity, and inclusion for your company? There's no lived experience there and don't try and exactly. appropriate, but I'm a woman that survived the sixties. Uh, no. All you're doing is appropriating a struggle that you have got no fucking business even fucking no. commenting on. None. And the same thing I would say in raising sons that it scared the shit out of me because all I saw was these very domineering older white women, yeah. period, in education. Serge, what would it take for you to apply? What can we do to make it more inviting? Because it isn't a female only. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think you nailed it. You nailed it as far as being intentional. We look at all our job descriptions and we talked about gender decoder. I guarantee you, if I went through most of the healthcare job descriptions, they yeah. would be very female dominated. That is where we're at now. What we need to think about is how do we prepare those folks to You're get in know. the workforce? What's the future looking like? Because it's too late for a lot of people. If I wanted to be a nurse, I'm a 42-year-old man. I'm not going to take go to college. But what are we doing to those high school students, male students, yeah. looking at what vocations they want to do? Like I talk mm -hmm. a lot about we need more males and females in trades. We don't do a really good job of emphasizing the importance of trades. We have done this on purpose with college education, that if you're not going to college, you're not going to be successful. And I I'm so happy to see that pendulum swing that it's not as critical anymore. I, I work in HR. I work in recruitment. And one of the aspects has always been, I've been the only male on my team, oh, I would say the majority of my career. It, it really strikes me as as a little bit odd because you look at HR and it's how we have positioned HR. Then we look at nursing is the one that, and there was an interesting campaign that was done, I believe in Australia, where they had a campaign that was basically, are you man enough to be a nurse? That's uh, horrifying. Honestly, it, it's got to start way before that. And it's got to start with young people. Yeah. And making those career decisions. <laughs> I will tell you what you twigged on, Serge, you are absolutely on the right track. And that is the fact that everything is so geared that you have to go to university and th the whole university system is so fucked up. Like it really is like coming out of university, four years, bachelor's degree, and there really is no direction for people. But what I wanted to say, Serge, was I, I believe you're onto something with just the whole way our education system has been geared. It, it's geared towards, oh, there's so much out there to choose from that young people don't really have a firm direction. That needs to start, I believe, in grade six. You have a propensity for whether it be teaching or certain things that your brain is just better at doing. And there's a reason that somebody becomes an engineer versus yeah. HR, right? And so beginning to kind of carve those streams out. I'm not saying determine somebody's future because that's horrifying to think about that, but, but expose them to that. Yeah. Like that's like, you have to, you, I don't even think we introduce nursing or bring in nurses or bring in other, like the thing we did with trades, working with one of our clients who's run by female, she speaks to other young girls about what it's like to be in the trades. The same thing needs to be male nurses, male teachers. My seven-year-old has a male teacher right now. And it's by far 
the best experience she's ever had. And again, you know what the first stereotype, because this is our bias. We grew up, Serge and I, I think you and I are the same age. We grew up in the 80s and everything was wrong. First thing I thought was, and I remember my husband and I were chatting about it, was that, oh, he's probably gay. And he is not like, that's the other side is you attach the shit and this labels because of how we're conditioned. And then we have to uncondition ourselves around that. And so we're thinking this, what's happening to our kids, but my seven year old does not see teachers being genderized anymore. And it's so cool. I'm so pumped that, that she's got this experience, but it's so rare to your point. It is. I think, and I so, think you might be the only so one. Go back to my generation then, because yeah. I know you and Serge are younger. Um, so if you <laughs> no, seriously, one generation, one generation before you, I will tell you that it was you, it was illegal for a gay man to be a teacher. And it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. It wasn't. So what did that do? What message did that send that somehow being gay made you deviant and you couldn't be around children? What the fuck? But I'm yeah. not kidding. This was a, in the 70s. There is yeah. no mm-hmm. way if you were gay that you got a, a teaching job. Like it Mich- was illegal. Yeah. Times have changed. And I, I think, Michelle, your point of what we need to do is, is the one that we all have to take in consideration. Mm-hmm. We have to be intentional about what we're trying to recruit, yeah. no matter what <clears throat> it is. The same as we've been very intentional with women truck drivers, mm-hmm. same in yeah, trades. Totally. We got to do exactly the same for men because there is an opportunity and there's a talent pool that is just not being utilized. That it, it's a shame. Shelly, let's move on to the next recruitment insight. What you've mm-hmm. got in the docket. Well, talk about money again. It is that time of year, right? Everybody's doing performance reviews yep. and, and there's certainly a big trend in recruiting to post your pay range you get higher ratings, whether it's Google or Indeed or ZipRecruiter, if you post what the pay is. I think there's a double-edged sword to pay transparency. Like I know traditionally we think pay transparency, meaning um, if you and I sit shoulder to shoulder, we've both been at the company five years, we both do the same job, we should be earning the same money. Is that pay transparency? I think what we mean by pay transparency is if there's a job family. And we all know that based on years of experience and your performance over time, but everybody starts out pretty much at the same rate. And then you have opportunities to move up the pay range. Right. And so I think there has always been, certainly from a recruitment standpoint, pay transparency, the fascinating thing that if you talk to a hundred candidates, the job, the pay range was posted, the range say it pays between $25 and $37.50. And you ask them what they think their starting wage would be, every single one of them is going to take the top of the range. So is pay transparency really having the effect that we think it is? I, I don't think it does. I think if anything, people will always believe that they're worth more. So if they see that their colleague is in the same job with no calculation for how long they've been there or their performance. They just believe that we should all be paid the same. I don't know. I think it's a bit of a slippery slope. Two sides. One is there's a difference between equality and equity. So it's, and it's making sure that people understand what that is. 
And to me, pay transparency goes beyond a range. Pay transparency is about how does this work? (laughs) And where it's shitty, where it doesn't work is when people aren't willing to have those tough performance conversations and they're using that as an excuse. That's why pay transparency doesn't work. I I know at our organization, again, we've got to be leaders in this. If we're going to teach others to do it, we've got to do the same way. But we are very intentional. If Elevated does well and you do X, Y, and Z, you will earn this. Your starting wage is, we all start at the same place for starting wage. That's where we're at too, based on the experience that you're bringing Mm -hmm. in. And we have a formula for that too. Pay transparency goes beyond the numbers. (laughs) That's the thing. And I think you have pitfalls when you think the numbers are going to solve everything. That's not how it works. This is a really slippery slope because if you talk to all the job seekers or basically anyone that is not in management, it, it all makes sense that you should have full pay transparency, almost a dime of how much you should pay. And I get that. But what I've seen on the other end, and I've said this to you before, Michelle, I've tried in every organization that I've led talent acquisition to have full pay transparency in how we advertise jobs. I have not been able to get there. And the main reason, and I get it, is if you're looking at this current market where we're paying 20, 30% to get the same talent, and now I'm in a situation, I need that talent, I need them to be on board, so I need to pay them whatever is the market rate. But now I have a whole company of people that are now underpaid based on this. Like the rational solution is just pay everyone more. But when we're talking companies, this can be a 10, 20, 30, 40 million difference that has not been accounted for. It just doesn't happen overnight is basically my point. How do you get there? I love what you're doing at Elevate, but you got to put in perspective that most HR organizations and how they pay there is no strategy. I think we should do pay transparency. And I think if you put the criteria that you talked about and how you communicate it, and I think there's value, but I just don't think it's realistic for most of the organizations right now. Maybe I'm too cynical. Like the litmus test for me is if I've ever left um, pay compensation by accident, or it got emailed to everybody by accident, because that happens where everybody's salary has been emailed to everyone, would I be embarrassed? And the truth, I, I, I think it's wrong. And I've had these arguments too, that you're going to go pay $30,000 more for an untested person and you're not going to take care of the people that are here. <laughs> like, it's the great resignation, regardless of if you take care of this person for six months, this person's now going to go look because they know that they're worth that too. And so there, again, it comes out of tr- pay transparency. It also goes beyond money. But creating that environment is more than just the money. And it's ensuring that you're doing what's right for your employees. I would be so embarrassed if somebody brand new who hasn't been tested, who hasn't been part of the culture, who hasn't even proven what they're going to add to it. I'm willing to shell out $30,000, but I'm not willing to look at this person and say, actually, if that's what market's worth. What do I need to do in the business and have that transparency of a conversation going even that recognizing that we have to do something with your pay. I don't think anybody will disagree with you, Michelle, especially it's just good business. But in my entire 25 plus years, I have never seen an employer wrap a blanket, increase their internal people to, to keep pace with what's going on in the market. But maybe that's what they need to start doing. One of them will experience the the great resignation. 
And I've been talking to organizations as well to say, yeah, the reality is if you want a software developer, this is the going rate. They're like, whoa, that means our internal people. And I said, yes. And you need to increase your internal people now. Don't wait till January. Because I tell you, recruiters, I know where to find these guys. And I know when to find them because they know what they're worth. So either you put a blanket around them or recruiters will find them. One of our tech companies that we work with right now has employed this strategy. And also their engagement is like at 94%. I sometimes don't even think it's it's accurate or right, but they're intuitive. They recognize it. They talk to their investors about it too. We run salary surveys every six months for them as well. And we adjust mm-hmm. internally at the same rate that we're just adjusting externally. And one of the strategies there then has been fine. Then we're going to hire junior. We're on purpose, not stopping to hire those senior. We're going to promote internally senior and give them more and more responsibility. And then we're going to on purpose hire junior and then raise them through. That seems to be a strategy that's working right now because people are staying Mm -hmm. and they're becoming mentors and they're teaching and they're incented to teach. They're not knowledge hoarding, but Again, it's a small part of the whole piece because it takes great leadership to do something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is not an overnight thing. And I totally agree. I hardly yeah. see it too. But even there, if you think about it, I can't raise their salary. So you know what they would do? They would have one person resign. Now we got to go find that person. So yeah. now they hire, they're just swapping salaries all the way through. So whether they do it before or they do it after, I think I'd rather keep the institutional knowledge and shell out a little bit before, but you're right, Shelly. If you don't do this by January 15th, (laughs) like the recruiters, they'll tell me that's when I always see it. (laughs) So everybody who's listening, don't take Michelle's advice because the recruiters are coming after your people. It's not hard to figure out who's got um, this reputation of, oh, we can't afford, we can't afford. But meanwhile, the CEO is... um, Oh, I was going to use the example of going to Hawaii for a month. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm kidding. I still pay my people. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. You know what I mean? Like I'll hear employers, oh, I can't find anybody or we can't afford to pay our people that much more to stay with the market. Yet I know their dividends and they're taking home. Unfortunately, there's a lot of bad leaders and they don't see it that way. What they're thinking is we'll deal with it when it happens. And we all know that's not a strategy that's going to work in this current environment because we're seeing across every industry. Like I talk a lot about software developers, but we're seeing it in every vertical, every skill set. There is a demand for them in this current environment. What are alternatives to being extremely transparent? And here are some points that were called out. Communicating pay range grades or average compensations rates rather than individual pay. Well, I think that makes sense, right? Like in reality, should you be communicating individual pays to other members? We all know they talk about it, but should we be at the forefront and just be like, here is what everyone gets paid? I'm not like, there's no reason to, I don't think, because performance is typically factored into that. And that's between me and you individually, not between you and my coworker. Yeah. You know? Well, I think the biggest way you get around it is ensuring that your employees know how actually your pay is constructed. How is it determined? And and we don't do that. Managers don't generally do that. Well, usually they don't even know. Yeah, it's well, a big fucking mystery. HR well, holds the keys. HR. 
Well, yeah. HR, HR doesn't fucking know either. Let's be real. <laughs> it's the CEO. All of a sudden they do mm. this thumb test and go, I like him a little bit more than her. That's realistically what a lot of this, they hire comp analysts and I love my comp analysts because they can do Excel spreadsheets. There's no tomorrow, but they don't actually hold the keys. That's the thing because there's no transparency. So you get your old gut involved and that's where all the pay equity issues come from in the first place. But at the same time, they don't know, but they could know. That's They can build their own. They can build a program. It's not that difficult. And I think it's that intersection between business worth and personal worth that makes compensation so difficult. Mm-hmm. But if you make it easier, you come up with your strategy and then you're consistent in the way that you apply it. To me, that's the key part of pay. Michelle, you have a lot of opinions and your opinions are very valid. And there's not a better podcast co-host than someone with an opinion. And you But you know what they that. say about opinions. Everybody's got one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you communicate it really well. So yeah. it was amazing awesome. having you as our guest co-host. We need to do this again. So we're now going to book you every couple of weeks, right? Hey, I'm free and I can do this. And again, we should be really putting you on the hot seat. I'm passionate. There's no question. This to Mm -hmm. me always comes down to leadership. All of these issues that we face at work, why work sucks is because of leaders. (laughs) That's it. If we can even like the three of us can convince someone to maybe look at something with a slightly different worldview lens. Hey, I'm living my dream. Like that's why I do this. Michelle, uh, have a fantastic trip to Maui. Thanks. Spend those three weeks as uh, your team is just working diligently back here in Calgary. And you're they are off time. too. Don't forget, <laughs> I give them the whole time off. I'm you know? kidding. Perfect. Have a <laughs> great week, you. everyone. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Hi. My name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.